our Western society focus, it's this all-star model, right? Like how much can I do? How much can I produce? How many papers can I write? And I think this really isolates the researcher. And what we need to move toward is a more community-focused way of engaging with research. That's one of the exciting things about bringing in perspectives from the indigenous data sovereignty movement, from indigenous researchers, and from those who are trying to do things in a different and hopefully better way. Hi, I'm Stephanie Tumampos, and you're listening to Down to Earth, the show where we talk to incredible geoscientists about their science and its impacts on our planet. This season, we're speaking to a wide variety of folks to investigate all things open science. Last episode, we spoke to two researchers about opening up data as part of the open science movement. Our conversation together made me wonder, how should we be governing open data? The reality is we are all constantly generating data. When we use apps on our phones, we're sharing data. Every time we make a purchase or see our doctor, that's data creation. If we are the creators of the data, shouldn't we have the right to govern what happens to it? I mean, I feel like the answer to this is pretty straightforward. Yes, of course, we want the right to control our data and how it's used. But what happens when, as researchers, we're collecting and using data that isn't generated exclusively by us? How do our biases play a role in what we collect, how we collect it, and the ways we interpret the data? And should the communities whose data we're using have a say in what happens with this data, particularly when it comes to making the data open and available? Today, I'm investigating these questions with a researcher who works with the NASA Indigenous Peoples Initiative. This episode of Down to Earth is brought to you by the IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. The GRSS is a community of passionate researchers and practitioners who are working to benefit society through their science, engineering, education, and applications. This year, GRSS is excited to collaborate with the NASA Transform to Open Science Initiative to celebrate the Year of Open Science with a whole down-to-earth season devoted to this very topic. To learn more and get involved in the year-long events and celebrations, visit science.nasa.gov and search for Open Science. Sangitamu, my name is Sativa. I am currently tuning in, sharing with you all from Oga Poge, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I was born and raised here, and um, I'm a member of Okeawinge Pueblo, which is about 45 minutes north of, of where I reside. Um, I'm Chicana, I'm also Hermisero, and I am an applied scientist, and I also went into teaching, knowing the positive potential of education to, to shift mindsets, particularly with the youth. As you just heard, this is Sativa Cruz. She's an applied scientist with the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute at the NASA Ames Research Center. She's also part of the NASA Indigenous Peoples Initiative, where she supports the initiative's work to bring NASA data tools to Indigenous communities. If we think of research and science in the Western context, right, it's oftentimes very extractive, exploitive, and focused on monetary gain. And I'm coming, you know, as someone who has been trained in the Western science tradition and also can see that there is value in that system. 
But what we're quickly running into is a, is a brick wall. And we are in a time of huge environmental shifts. We are in an ecological crisis. And what can save us and what has always been with us as people who are connected to land and place are other ways of knowing. Sativa's lived experience as an Indigenous woman in science, as well as her combined experiences as a teacher and a diversity, equity, inclusivity, and accessibility intern with NASA's Earth Science Division, have really emphasized to her how essential data sovereignty is for better, more ethical science. For Sativa, this is especially important when it comes to solving the global climate crisis. Let's take a listen. Indigenous peoples have been stewards and in close relationship with their lands for time immemorial. And what we can learn is that, well, first and foremost, that those ways of knowing and being are are valid and valuable, but also they shift our way to relating to the world to one that is built more on love, respect, and reciprocity. And so how do we shift the way we do science to reflect those values? How do we truly show we care? And with data sovereignty, you know, you don't have to be an indigenous researcher to know and understand data sovereignty. You just have to really, truly care and be critical of the work you're doing. You make a good point. We definitely need to shift the way we do science because historically, science has been extractive in many instances. Oh, totally. Um, What the historical trend has been is that, you know, researchers will go in, do their research and go out. And none of that information is ever returned to the communities from which they, they collected and benefited. And that's the issue, right? So the rightful control of that information should be with those communities to some degree. But also at the same time, how do we bring issues such as data sovereignty to the attention of uh, researchers who might not be familiar with it? Well, something we should probably convey to our listeners, since as you mentioned, it's likely kind of a new concept. So what is data sovereignty? Can you define it for us? Yes, of course. So um, data sovereignty is the inherent right for communities to control and govern the stories that are being told about them, and specifically the data and information that is collected about communities and on their lands. So data sovereignty is a concept, but it's also a movement. Right. How do we move past a, a history of really um, negative relationships between researchers and and native communities to something better? Right. To something where communities themselves are able to lead the research that is done, that information that is collected is of service to the community and not only collected to perpetuate stereotypes to erase communities and misrepresent communities often. So there's a lot in history and modern too, right? Where um, indigenous communities are misrepresented 
and the attempt to disempower and and erase their voice. So I think now it's uh, a clear and loud movement, and uh, it's a really exciting time to grapple with these difficult concepts and um, really listen to the Native voices at the forefront of the movement. Agreed. And speaking of movements, I want to talk about the open science movement. I'm not sure about you, but it seems to me that open science and this idea of opening our data and everything else might be contradictory to the data sovereignty movement. So what do you think? What role does data sovereignty play in the open science movement? Yeah, I feel it really provides that necessary time needed for reflection and checking in with the communities you're working with. Right. So data sovereignty sort of acts as that. Um, the word that comes to mind is wall, but that's not what I really mean by it. But it's a, an opportunity to really check ourselves. Right. Have we gained permission by the community in which we're conducting this, for example, ecology study? Do we understand whose homes we're visiting and telling stories about, right? It just seems like a very logical thing to understand the context wherever your research is taking place. And especially if you intend to share what you learn beyond the community where it's collected. So I think data sovereignty provides the opportunity for the researcher or research team to develop deeper ties with place and with those who call that place home. And I think it really shifts for research to be uh, of service instead of that extractive exercise that that it's been. And I I hope that we continue to move toward better ways of of relating. Um, Data sovereignty too also gets into where data is stored and what can be shared outside of the community, right? So there might be sensitive information that's collected that the community doesn't really see as appropriate to share beyond their own um, their own nation. And that's something that we have to also respect, right? I'm thinking just about us as individuals. If we have a story about ourselves or our lives that we share with a close friend, you know, we kind of have this understanding like they won't share that beyond us because there's a respect for me and I trust them. Now we can look at it in the same way with researchers work and universities and organizations and agencies working with tribes, right? Sensitive information can be shared maybe amongst those teams, but there's this understanding that it's not going to be taken out of context. So I feel like we need to really just put so much more care into the work that we do. And I think we'll be more fulfilled because of it. And we may not get it right all the time, but even if we are uncomfortable, we should be asking for permission. And we should be okay when tribes say no. Yeah, and that's kind of the hard part too, right? I mean, especially coming from the earth sciences, what we study can feel removed from its impacts on people. And when we have a research question that's really interesting, it's hard to hear someone tell us we can't study it. But data sovereignty principles can help with community building. So let's talk about the brass tacks of data sovereignty. Let's say I want to build data sovereignty into my research. What steps should I be following? Yeah, um... 
what often comes to my mind when I think about like, if I'm interested in a research project or question, it's why me? Like, why should I be the one pursuing this question? What do I have value added, so to speak, or perspective that is going to be of use and of service to pursuing this endeavor? Right? It could be that you have a really stellar background in modeling and you feel like you have the tools to be able to better create a, like a climate change scenario modeling for a community. And you feel like this could be helpful. So again, questioning yourself as a researcher. Um, understand what's already been done and being done, right? I think the best case scenario is that like a tribe would reach out to a researcher and be like, hey, we need your help. Um, could you help us design this study or create this model? Like that would be, I think, the way for it to happen, but we're not there yet and that's okay. So after understanding the landscape and what's being done, again, re-asking ourselves, what do we have to contribute or what do we believe we have to contribute? Take some time to better understand the, if you're in the context of tribes, the tribal nation you wish to engage with, right? Every tribe's different. Um, every government structure is a, is different within the tribe, their customs. So educate yourself best you can, ask questions, be willing to learn, be vulnerable, and let's create a better tomorrow. Well said. So are there any principles or guidelines researchers can follow? Yeah, so um, there's principles that have been put out to help guide researchers, one of them being the OCAP principles. And this was you know, developed in the context of, of First Nations uh, research in Canada. There's the care principles as well. And open science is all about uh, the fair principles too. So moving beyond just doing the science for the science sake to um, this sort of values orientation, right? Like, how are we doing science in a responsible and ethical way? And again, CARE, for example, stands for collective benefit, authority to control, responsibility, and ethics. For Indigenous data governance, this these principles are, are really important. So again, even too, like, if you're collecting a data set, you know, and you're producing this uh, research product, where does it go after? Does it stay with you or do you hand it over? Are you really gifting of your time as a creative mind in that sense, right? As a researcher, as a scientist, um, in a way that is not in direct benefit to you. I think there's so many layers that needs to be addressed, you know, to actually build trust. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, have you used these vi various principles in your work? Can you give an example of how applying them has worked for you? Yeah. So with the Indigenous Peoples Initiative, you know, we currently have been mostly in the process of providing trainings for communities. And so, um, like I mentioned earlier, when we take into consideration designing a training that is specifically um, for, for a tribe using tribal data, um, how do we make sure that it is, again, honoring sort of these principles? If we're looking at the care principles, for example, collective benefit is you know absolutely a priority. Doing this training 
It could provide a case study that we talk about generally um, and share with other collaborators. The data, the analysis, the research can directly support um, decision-making, but also, again, it's a learning experience for us as educators working in this field, right? So that's like looking at the C, authority to control. So we are very, you know, aware and um, sensitive to the fact that we have this privilege of working with communities that may share information that is sensitive, right? It could be a cultural site. It could have a tie to the story of emergence or other important aspects of, of the cultural context of that community. So we, you know, we're not trying to house that information ourselves. We have to absolutely put the decision making of where it's housed and even like how it's really how it's interpreted with the community itself. That one is maybe a little more difficult when you're working with researchers who are um, maybe more openly sharing data sets like to get the information out there or publishing. So again, that's a moment to slow down and ask is what we're sharing in a public setting like a publication okay? Um, Responsibility and ethics, again, come into everything that we do. We're really passionate about the work that we do and we're really uh, critical about it too, right? We will spend hours talking about how we can move forward like with a particular relationship or project. And again, thinking about all the intricacies of what that means. How do we do the work we want to do ethically? And there's certain things that we are just beyond our experience and our expertise. And so how are we responsible and being ethical to honoring that non-understanding and connecting with appropriate people to support us in uh, what we do. So I kind of spoke all over there, but it's just there's so much to it, right? And I think the fact that if you're still tuning in and listening to this, uh, this, this podcast, you'll see that there are so many directions to spend some time and just take those deep dives. Now that I have a better understanding of what data sovereignty entails, I have even more questions for how this movement fits into open science. Like, if communities have authority over the data that scientists collect and how it's interpreted, what does that mean for objectivity in the scientific process? How is NASA, an institution where open data is required, juggling open data and data sovereignty principles in their Earth Sciences work? And are data sovereignty principles only for work with indigenous communities? Or does it apply across the board? I'll have some answers for you right after the break. Are you a student or recent grad ready to reach your full potential in the geosciences? Then you need to join the Geoscience and Remote Sensing Society. With over 75 chapters in 94 different countries, you'll connect with a diverse community of professionals, experts, and advisors who can inspire your science and help shape your career. Find support and fellowship as part of our Young Professionals Network. Advance your skills through our GRSS schools, student travel grants, workshops, and more. Be at the forefront of geoscience research by joining our technical committees and network with geoscientists from around the world at IGARS, our flagship conference. Our incredible international community is ready to welcome you. 
Learn more and get connected today by visiting grss-ieee.org. Welcome back. Today, we've been talking about data sovereignty with Sativa Cruz, an applied scientist at the NASA Ames Research Center and member of the NASA Indigenous Peoples Initiative. When I think about how data sovereignty applies to me, I can see it's important in my work as well as in my personal life. I want my data to be safe and protected. I also want control over what's shared. In terms of my research, I think I lean more towards openness. For example, I would feel comfortable publishing a data set under a license that allows researchers to use, distribute, reproduce, and modify my data as long as credit is provided. This comfort with opening my research, but not my personal data, kind of reflects a greater tension that I think exists between the open science and data sovereignty movements. On the one hand, the open science movement is pushing to make data more open. On the other hand, the data sovereignty movement is focused on data ownership and rights, encourages thinking through what data is shared and what remains closed. They aren't polar opposites of each other, by any means, but I'm curious about how we navigate this tension. For example, how is NASA balancing their mandate to make data open with their work to respect indigenous people's rights to their data? How is data sovereignty applied outside indigenous communities? And is this focus on community control of data impacting objectivity in science? Let's dive back in to hear what Sativa has to share. Okay, I want to talk a little more about the Indigenous Peoples Initiative to get a sense of what you do and how you work to balance the push for opening data with the need to respect data sovereignty. So first, can you tell me, what are the goals of the Indigenous Peoples Initiative and how do you work to achieve them? Yeah, thank you for the question. So we um, have been in a, in a planning process for developing our five-year strategic plan. And um, we have identified kind of four strategic goals for the Indigenous Peoples Initiative. The first being cultivating knowledge sharing pathways around the use of earth observations for Indigenous community actions within landscapes. The second is to strengthen the capacity for the use of NASA Earth observation data and tools for Indigenous community action. The third is to uphold and share respectful and reciprocal engagement strategies across NASA Earth science for Indigenous community action. And our final goal is to increase the presence of Indigenous people at NASA to diversify worldviews within Earth science. Our focus in the IPI is tribal environmental professionals. So going to conferences, participating in workshops, and providing training opportunities that we co-develop and create place-based material. So how does the IPI balance the push for opening data and the need to respect data sovereignty? Yeah, so I guess that we have the ability to access and use NASA data, right? It is um, by law, open data. And in this time where we are seeing so many new um, missions going up to the sky, you know, new satellite missions with new, new data collecting capabilities, you know, our role in that is understanding what information is being gathered that wasn't being before. How can this information serve the communities that we work with? And also, how do we take into consideration uh, data sovereignty and sovereignty of, of nations? And I think part of it comes down to um, 
it's not always the data itself that is the issue. It's how the data is pieced together because, you know, the data that's being collected about lands through satellite and earth observations is this huge data set, right? And it includes tribal lands. But it's at what point are we misrepresenting communities by using this data or monetizing on these communities by using this data? So there's like a a certain threshold. Again, the data itself might not be what's sensitive. And I'm thinking about environmental data in particular. Once you get to like human data, right, that's a whole other thing. Socioeconomic data, mental health data. I don't know. There's just like so much more to it. And I can't necessarily speak to all of the pieces, but a transparent research process is really important. And often that means sharing the data because how many times has data included a bias and told a story in a way that was really harmful to a community? that perpetuated stereotypes about a community that didn't get the whole story. (laughs) And if that data is out there in the open that was used to tell these, you know, negative narratives, then we can reveal that, right? And be like, no, that's not quite what that information was saying. But I think that there are ways to protect Indigenous data specifically We could emphasize the power of communities to say no when they share their data, and it should be open and consistent with asking, asking, is it okay to share? And there's ways that we could design tools where NASA data is is open, um, as it legally has to be, but indigenous data, like indigenous collected data could be behind a firewall or a login. I mean, I get your point with with all those like, I know there's a danger when you're piecing data together and making a story that's not yours, you know? There's a big danger to that. Um, in terms of objectivity, I was just wondering and, and thinking, what are your thoughts about this concept of objectivity when it comes to data sovereignty? Do you get people saying that granting community community control removes objectivity? How do you respond to that? Yeah, that's an interesting um question because, you know, science prides itself on on being objective, so to speak. But what we learn if we take a critical eye at science as practice, especially in the Western model, is that it's anything but that, right? There's always underlying um, factors that contribute to why the science is being done in the first place, who's funding it, what the benefit is going to be after. And I say that moving the control to the community doesn't necessarily remove objectivity. It just, it allows communities to exercise their sovereign right. They should be able to control what stories are being told about them and their lands to some degree, especially if it is harmful, especially if it is benefiting others outside of the community instead of the community itself. You know, that's not to say that if, you know, say, a study on health was done and then a a community was showing um, something that is concerning comes up in that research, right? It's not that the community is going to say, oh, that's not true. We're not going to look at that. It's more of, okay, we're able to acknowledge this on our own terms. And maybe the factor that you're listing for the cause is, is, you should take more time to, to think about that because here's more about our culture and the way we do things and what other variables could have possibly contributed to 
whatever this phenomena is. So giving control to the communities that we're telling stories about, again, it's empowering those communities. So I think it's not a a matter of affecting objectivity, but it just leads to to better relations and better science. And I think that's the most important. We know, and again, too, like <laughs> thinking of objectivity, right? Like removal of, of self and perspective from, from the act of, of completing the science. It doesn't really necessarily make sense in a, in a Native context because the, their way of being is who they are. It's what they do. And it's, there's no need to remove self from place because self is only a result of place, language, right? Intimately tied with the specific uh, environmental context, ways of knowing tied with a relationship with this land for so long. And so even though that might sound weird, <laughs> maybe to some scientists of like, no, we need to remove our, our bias in ourselves. Um, I think that type of bias is exactly what makes Indigenous ways of knowing so strong. It's contextual, it's specific, and it's who we are. So I love that you clarified this. Really quickly, we've been talking a lot about data sovereignty with respect to Indigenous communities, but does data sovereignty apply beyond Indigenous communities? Oh, totally. Data sovereignty should be considered in multiple contexts. In the indigenous context, there's very specific reasons as to why and very specific ways about honoring data sovereignty. But I think data sovereignty so long that it's not used as a way to prevent the sharing of data that it's for, the collective benefit for the protection of communities, of health, of the environment should be honored. And communities we've been talking about are our people, right? And our indigenous communities. Um, but, you know, communities are also our non-human relatives. So how do we expand our mind to think about those things as well? So, yeah, I, I say data sovereignty as a concept should be utilized in something we move toward, but not without a critical eye, uh, especially when it moves beyond the context of communities and tribal nations. I think that's exactly it. With any movement, policy, practice, or even research, bringing a critical eye is what scientists do best. I think it's important so we can always be working towards better science in the future, as you said earlier. And speaking of the future, what are your hopes for data sovereignty in the open science movement going forward? Uh, I just want us to be a better community of scientists and researchers. And in the context of earth science, you know, how are we creating knowledge sharing pathways? How are we um, creating s studies that are truly, you know, rooted in principles of, of care, love, reciprocity, empathy, and all the best qualities of like the human condition and experience. There are so many uh, new missions thinking about like earth science and, and NASA data and all of that we're going to just have such a wealth of information about our earth in a way that we've never, like, I don't even think we could wrap our minds around it right now. And so with all of that information, again, how do we move forward in a way that is 
is truly putting our, our planet's health, you know, at the center, our community's health, our non-human relatives' health. So my, my hope is that these conversations will happen more often, that there will be better understanding on either side, that we, we find the language to truly communicate these things in a way that is effective and understandable, but that the science we're doing is better. I think what I've learned from my conversation with Sativa is that there's still so much more to discuss in terms of data sovereignty. Like she said, we do better science by having more conversations around these topics. Ultimately, our goal is to share accurate, fully informed research, and following the policies and practices to do this is a responsibility we all need to share. Now, open data is the first component that makes up open science. The second is open methodology, which requires open software and open source code. So in our next episode, we're speaking to a researcher who has literally been part of the open source community since he was a teenager. Want to learn more about Sativa Cruz and her work with the Indigenous Peoples Initiative? You can go to the Indigenous Peoples Initiative within NASA Earth Science, and there'll be a little bit about some of this work that we're involved in. As our initiative grows, we'll be more and more places. We're just looking forward to building that network. Be sure to follow and rate the Down to Earth podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And go follow our sponsors at IEEE underscore GRSS on Twitter and Instagram and IEEE Geoscience and Remote Sensing on Facebook and LinkedIn. This episode was produced by Nicole Bedford from Nicole Bedford Films with help from me, Stephanie Tomampos. Graphics and design by Mylene Briggs of Kila Media. And a special thanks to Yvonne Ivy Parker and Keely Roth for their support. I'm Stephanie Tomampos and you've been listening to Down to Earth.